Welcome to this special episode of Stacks and Stories, the podcast of the Mississippi Library Commission. On today's episode, Pod Squad members Tracy and Shelley discuss the newest books they've read as part of the Zoom chat series, Shelf Absorbed. Please note that the audio has been pulled from the video, Current Reads, Shelf Absorbed, originally recorded on June 26, 2020. The audio has been edited to better fit the podcast format. Stay tuned. Hey, I'm Tracy Carr with the Mississippi Library Commission. Hi, I'm Shelley Ziegler from the Mississippi Library Commission. And we're here to talk about books in our new thing that we just came up with a name for called Shelf Absorbed. We've done these book chats before, but we've just been calling them book chat and you know, that was boring. So we had to- what? Yeah, that wasn't fun. So Shelf Absorbed is what we're calling these chats where Shelly and I just discuss what we've been reading or what we're trying to read or what we couldn't read or what we want to read. Hope you enjoy it. So Shelly, what have you been reading? Well, first of all, I want to say something. Okay. Okay. I have three picks today and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you're going to want to read all of these. What? I know for us, that's, that's a lot but I really feel these are going to appeal to you. If this is the first Shelly Tracy book chat shelf absorbed that you've seen, Shelly and I don't always agree on no. what to read. We like to bicker a little, but often something will sound good to both of us. And then one of us is like, no, but as we are friends on Goodreads, I know that if Shelly has given something a two star rating, I will love it. And yes. vice versa. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll have to let me know at the end of our chat if you how you feel about these books. The first one I'm going to talk about, I have a printout of it because I don't have the actual copy. It's called mm -hmm. The Henna Artist by mm -hmm. Alka Joshi. This book is a debut novel for the author. She worked on it for 10 years. It is set in India in the 1950s. And actually the main character, Lakshmi, is based on her mother. But it's not on what actually is her mother's life. It's what the author reimagined her mother's life could be if she had had more choices in what happened in her future. Lakshmi flees an abusive relationship and she moves to the city of Japar. And she is a henna artist. She learned that trade from her mother-in-law and she's very, very good at it. She's very creative. So she moves to this bigger city and she makes a name for herself and she's become like the henna artist that everyone wants. And she does these intricate designs and she'll incorporate things that are very personal to the person in their life. One day out of the blue, her ex-husband shows up and her 13-year-old sister that she didn't even know she had. And they throw a wrench in everything she has ever planned for her life. She's been saving and they just ruin it. So it's all about how she manages to keep her life together with this ex-husband and this new sister. It's so well-written and richly described. It's almost like you can smell India when you read this book. I really enjoyed it. Well, it sounds good. I might read it. Okay. <laughs> what do you have for us? To 
today I have one book that I did read and two that I'm in the process of reading. So the one that I recently read, uh, it's a reread, which is really unusual for me. I, yeah, no, I don't do that. I, I hardly ever reread, but I was curious to see if I still enjoyed this. This is The Professor's House by Willa Cather. I had read other Cather works, My Antonia, not my jam, but I, I remember really liking The Professor's House, so I gave it a reread. I really like an academic novel. I love books that are set in academia and like the infighting and history departments or whatever. That, that kind of thing appeals to me. So this book, it's a domestic drama. It's about this man, Godfrey St. Peter. He's a history professor and he's been writing this eight volume series for years. He's just won this big prize and it has allowed him to buy a new house, except he doesn't like it. And so his little stuffy attic is where he's been writing his book. The whole family has moved to the house and he's still living in his little attic writing his book. Both of his daughters are grown. They have married men who are very different, both kind of annoying in their various ways. There's three sections of the book. The first is called The Family, where you get to know the dynamic of St. Peter and his wife and his two daughters and then their husbands, one of whom I just can't stand. A few years ago, he had this one brilliant student named Tom Outland. And they just had this like amazing kind of like father-son mentor connection. Tom discovered something that I, I didn't really, I'll, honestly, I didn't really pay attention to what, whatever polymer or whatever it was. He discovered this thing and he had it patented and he left the patent to one of St. Peter's daughters. They were engaged. And so he left the patent to her and then he goes off to World War I and immediately gets killed. So the patent then becomes extremely lucrative. Mm -hmm. She marries this guy, Louis. He's very enthusiastic, but annoying. And they're super rich. Anyway, this sounds kind of boring, but... No, it, it does not sound boring. Tom had this amazing life before he went to college and did all this. So the first section is called The Family, and it's about this dynamic. The second one is Tom Outland's story. It's basically like an adventure novel. He's in Arizona or maybe New Mexico, I don't remember. He's discovered this untouched ruins. It's amazing, like the like the descriptions of the Mesa and it's all this adventure stuff. And then the last section is the professor and he basically has an existential crisis. So it's an academic novel, it's a domestic novel, it's an adventure novel, and it's really like a novel of the self where he has this, what am I doing with my life, uh, existential crisis. So. Anyway, that's, that's a lot of elements in one really book. Is. And yeah. listen, it's a quick read. There's only 250 pages. I mean, in a paperback. It's that's amazing not, how that all of that story can be put in such a small book. I don't. I, yeah, I didn't even tell you like so much of it. Anyway, I, I really liked it. And it's kind of a quiet novel. It's not uh -huh. like, oh, and then the killer, yeah. you know, it's just yeah. very, oh, he did this and that. And then this happened. It, and I, I really like books. Um, and I think that might be one of the things where we differ. Because that is where we differ because I'm not a, I don't really like quiet books too much. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I get very stressed out very easily by, uh, I don't know, everything. So <laughs> in, a, in a book, especially like a thriller, I have, I have a hard time reading thrillers because. I, I love that feeling of, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And is it this person? Is it this person? Like, I, I love that thriller. I think that is where we differ. Well, I have another one that 
it's sort of a domestic drama, suburban drama. It's called A Good Neighborhood, and it's by Therese Ann Fowler. She typically writes historical novels, so this is a different take for her. I went into this book not knowing anything about it, which is unusual for me. I, I usually like to know everything, but it is about a conflict between a black family in a neighborhood who they already live there and this white family that moves in next door. And it's all about this historical oak tree, which is why there's this oak leaf on the cover. The white family is upper middle class and the black family is like middle class. And so the white family, they build this huge house and they put in this pool. The pool's the problem because it's an in-ground pool and it disrupts the roots of the oak tree. And this woman's historical oak tree is going to die. So that's how it starts. Now that kind of seems like a quiet novel, doesn't it? But there's so much tension between these two families. They don't understand each other. They come from very different walks of life. The white family, the husband is kind of a local celebrity and the black family, the woman's a professor and she's very intellectual and the tension just mounts and mounts. And then you have this Romeo and Juliet factor where the son and the black family kind of has a romance. Well, he does have a romance with the young girl and the white family and neither families like this. It's basically to me, it's a Greek tragedy set in modern times. And it's, um, it's about failing to try to understand your enemy. I think you would really like this one. You know what? I would really like this. The henna artist sounds interesting, but I uh-huh. might actually seek out, and what's it called again? A Good Neighborhood. A Good Neighborhood. I may actually read that. That one really gets you. Okay. What else do you have? Well, in my current reading pile, we have Washington Black by Essie Adugian. So this is a story about this boy who's, he's 11, he's a slave on a plantation in Barbados, and he has a, an extremely terrible, cruel master. But his master has his brother who's looking for an assistant, um, and he's an inventor. And so they pick Wash, Washington is his name. Okay. Um, they pick Wash based upon basically no other factor besides how much he weighs because the Titch, who is the inventor, he's invented this cloud cutter and it's a hot air balloon. He needs a person of this weight to be in the hot air oh, balloon. Okay. Um, so he teaches him to read. It turns out that, uh, that Wash is a great artist. So together they go on these adventures. It starts in Barbados. They go to the Arctic. They go to Nova Scotia. They go to London. They go to Amsterdam. They end up in Morocco. Of course, it's not just like wow, I used to be a slave and now I'm something else. They have this like this amazing friendship, but of course there's always this tension of I sort of belong to, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. really. So um, it's really a story of unlikely friendship, but it's also, it's kind of like a Jules Verne book, like which yeah. I would have thrown up at as a, I, I can't, what is that book called? You know, I had to read it in seventh grade. It was called The Mysterious... Uh, the Mysterious Island. So it's historical novel. It's an adventure novel. 
it, it's about race, it's about slavery. You've picked some books that have a lot of elements going on in them. They, they, they couldn't be pigeonholed into one yeah. genre. So, th but this is more adventure-y than I'm really used to. But yeah, but what I'm after is that relationship between Titch and Wash. I look, I'll give you an update next time on how it turns out. Okay, sounds good. All right, well, my last book, it actually does not get published until next Tuesday, but I got a digital arc of it. Um, it's called Mexican Gothic. Mm -hmm. It's by Silvia Moreno Garcia. It is set in the 1950s in Mexico City. Noem I is the main character, and her and her father, who are very well off, they receive a letter from her cousin, who's recently married this man and moved away to this small countryside estate. And it's a very disturbing letter um, about how she is seeing things and the walls and there's ghosts and just setting up the whole atmospheric gothic theme here. Noamai's father wants her to go and visit her cousin, Catalina, and see what's going on. So she takes this adventure and this journey and she arrives at this countryside home and it is very creepy. The name of the estate is called the High Place and the people in the village around the High Place, they don't want anything to do with it. They don't want anything to do with the people that live there. This is classic Bronte sisters setup. And so if you like that, you'll really enjoy this book. I like that this book, it's a, a classic Gothic horror book, but it has all these elements of Mexican folklore. And I don't think these elements have been put together before. So I just, I read this in two days and I don't usually do that. Also, I'm not young and hip. I'll just say that, you know, so I found out by reading online that Spotify had a playlist that was created by the publisher of this book. So I listened to it and the songs, they capture this book so wonderfully. So I might start looking for more Spotify playlists on books. That is new to me because I am old. So anyway, I highly recommend Mexican Gothic. And I just love this cover. Yeah, it's a great cover. I, and I, I am intrigued by it. I told you, you would be. You did. You had, had me pegged. What else do you have? Okay, so the last book, and I'm, I'm in the middle of reading it too. It's called The Queen, The Forgotten Life Behind an American Myth by Josh Levin. This is about Linda Taylor, who was basically the original welfare queen. I have a lot to say about Linda Taylor so far, but um, <laughs> the, the book in general is about how this one woman became a symbol of, of welfare fraud mm -hmm. and politicians used it to defund social services over the course of decades. A story is so much better than boring facts. Yes. It's so much easier to inspire outrage and it's so much more persuasive to say, this woman has four Cadillacs. She lied about having triplets. She's collecting welfare under seven different names. Like there is rampant fraud in this industry. We what must do something about it. Exactly. How many people are doing this? I don't know, but you know, she's wearing furs and has her Cadillacs. 
So not only is it a biography of her and her insane life, but also how Linda Taylor as a symbol affected public policy and affected poverty and the severe decline of welfare and food stamps and all of that, which makes the poverty rate skyrocket. What time period was she during this? 1974 is when the investigation really starts. I read in here that she had 41 aliases, but on a post-it that I am keeping up with, <laughs> as a new alias is introduced, I'm writing it down just because I think it's... That's, that's, that's very much like you. <laughs> Constance Womack, Constance Wakefield, Connie Walker, Dr. Shlolia, Dr. Huyan, Dr. Constance Jarvis, C.B. Levin, Connie Green, Connie Harbaugh, Sandra Lewis, Connie Gordon, Linda wow. Bennett. That just runs the gamut. It really does. So this is a typical story. She has the ability, she's kind of a chameleon. She's half black, half white, but with a different wig, some makeup, she can present as Asian or Hispanic or black or white or, you know, yeah, that, that helps with her, her life choices. Yeah, it really does. And, and with her age, she, her age is sort of nebulous as well. Mm -hmm. So she meets this guy, he's 21 and she's like 45 or something. He doesn't know how old she is. And they meet on August 12th. They have this whirlwind romance. They marry on August 17th. She told him that he was her eighth husband. Uh, this is after they got married, after that five day okay. courtship. Okay that she killed her first husband, another one got crushed by a bus, and to never cross her. And he's like, hmm, okay. At one point, he had a party and stayed the night somewhere, and she got mad at him because he didn't come home. So what does a normal person do? You're, you're mad at your husband for something naturally. You, you confront him the next day, you know? You... Yeah. That's not what Linda Taylor does. Linda Taylor... <laughs> called his mother and told her that he died in a car accident. That's a little extreme. And she yes. was mad at him. So, you know, like the next day or week or something, when he calls his mother, she felt has a heart attack because she thought he was dead. Sounds like a book I would like to read. <laughs> well, at this point, he was like, you know what? I have made a poor decision. Yes. I am going to get out of this marriage. But it wasn't his decision to make because she had stolen his television and hit the road. And that was one month into their marriage. That's um... In that month period, she has gotten arrested by the investigators who will eventually uh, lead to her becoming the symbol. So the thing is, she does way worse things. She's probably a murderer. She's definitely a kidnapper. There's like some child trafficking situation because these new babies would show up and then she like towed them down to the Ooh. welfare office and say this is so and so she had this teenager living with her taking care of the kids and he was like well some some stayed all the time and then like other ones would come and go and he didn't really know where they came from or where they went and i hope i will find out what happens to them I am super curious to find out what happens with her life. Like, does yes. she go to prison? Does she die in prison? This is fascinating. But it's really interesting about, I'm not saying welfare fraud isn't a, a, a crime. Absolutely. But if you're also a murderer and you do all these other things, and that's the thing that everyone focuses on. Yeah, I, I feel like murder trumps anything else. 
I, I mean, in my book, murder is like the worst thing. So the fact that that's what she's known for, it says a lot about our culture. It does. Murder mm-hmm. is boring, but she has four Cadillacs and mm-hmm. and she has furs and-, and and just the ripple effect of politicians, including Ronald Reagan. The story of Linda Taylor was very influential on him, and then obviously he's influential on on others. Anyway, well, I'm really interested in that book. So as I started out, I thought you would like all three, mm-hmm. but maybe just two. Maybe two, yeah. Maybe I mean, Hannah Artist sounds, it sounds good. I would it, watch a movie of it. It would be a great movie. Well, that's two out of three is pretty, that's, it's that's, a, that's really good. Like one out of three, the queen? One, yeah, yeah. one out of three. And, and you're not really a, a nonfiction. No, not typically. No, I'm not. Uh, I like to put one in every now and then just to, you know, change it up. Well, her, her life is so, so far anyway. Oh, I have to tell you this. So the investigator who pretty much cracks the case, he's a detective who just works on in burglary. And so he goes to this house because, you know, they said they've had a, a, a robbery or whatever. He was like, oh, I just wanted to go over the list of what you said was stolen. And he's like, one refrigerator. And she's like, yeah, a stove. And there's no forced entry. And he's like, well, what do you think happened? And she said, well, I think they went through this window. And the window's like this big. Like, so they took the refrigerator through that window? Yeah. Like, nothing makes sense. So he's like, what? I mean, had had it not been so outlandish, he probably just would yeah. have said, like, okay, filed his report. It would have been over. If she'd just been a little smarter, you know. She's an interesting lady. Not going to lie. All right. Well, this was good. We had a lot of different picks here. A lot of different things to choose from. We'll have to do another one soon. Yeah, in about a month, maybe. All right. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Stacks and Stories, the podcast of the Mississippi Library Commission. We hope you will tune in next time, and we encourage you to visit your local public library often.